From the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College, you're listening to Going Forth. I'm Meredith Benjamin. And I'm Nicholas Lampietti. And Nicholas, how many pages of reading do you think you do per week? I don't even want to think about that number. Probably a lot. Grinnell kids do a lot of reading. And a number of them do quite a bit of writing as well. If you're one of the many Grinnellians who loves to read books or maybe have a few ideas for books that you'd like to write, this episode is for you. Today's guest is a best-selling author and 2015 finalist for the National Book Award. And should we tell them? Let's tell them. She's someone that at least one of us has known for quite a long time. I'm honored to introduce my own mother, Allie Benjamin, Grinnell Class of 1992. In a moment, Allie talks about the elements of good storytelling, finding inspiration, and realizing your passions later in life than you expected. Stay with us. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. Hi, mom. Hi. So mom, I know a lot about you, but Nicholas doesn't. I do not. So for all of us that don't know about who you are and what you do, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Allie Benjamin. I am a proud member of the Grinnell College class of 1992, and I am a writer by profession. So mom, Mm -hmm. I know some stories, but what was your time like at Grinnell? (laughs) Um, So I love Grinnell. I love the people. I love the unlikeliness of the college. I love the mission. I think it has throughout its history truly been ahead of other colleges in terms of social justice. Um, I love, I feel like it attracts a really creative, smart, quirky, and very open to the world um, group of students. And that continues as they go forth into the world. So I really love Grinnell. Um, And I loved a lot of my time at Grinnell. When I showed up at Grinnell, I was very young in a lot of ways. And it took me a couple of years to really understand what an opportunity Grinnell was and to learn how to take advantage of it. I would say it was really only junior year where I started to hit my stride and make things happen for myself instead of being a little bit more passive. But I had a really good time. I look back with great fondness. It's life like anything else. So uh, that doesn't mean I was happy every moment. I think it's inevitable that there's a lot of doubt and there's a lot of loneliness, but I look back with such incredible fondness and that fondness has only grown since I graduated. What's interesting is, um, I don't know if you listened to the Eric Giebelhaus episode, but so, so for those of you who, who don't know, Eric and um, Allie were classmates and friends at Grinnell. And Eric actually used the exact same phrase to describe his time at Grinnell. He said he looks back with such great fondness. Oh, that's so funny. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey after Grinnell and your career path and trajectory? Did you expect your life to turn out the way it has? Hmm. And how ultimately have you been able to reach the point where you can write books full time? I never thought about being a writer when I was at Grinnell. I never really considered the possibility. I think part of it is I was just young and I didn't feel like I had very much to say, but I didn't take a single English class. I I was just one of those people who had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, The world was so full of things to do that were all pretty interesting to me. And it took me a very long time to really even think about picking a team. 
Um, I went to school with some people who knew exactly what they wanted to do and were really focused. And that was just not me. So when I graduated, I had no idea what to do. I actually applied to graduate school in urban planning because the program had come and they did a little pitch. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I'll, I'll do that. And I went to one week of classes and everyone around me was super interested in urban planning in a way that I just wasn't. So I dropped out of grad school after a week and I went to live in Chicago. I worked in business in Chicago. The healthcare industry was really changing at that time. So I went to work for a company that was sort of healthcare consulting. They also had a software product. I didn't know anything about it. It was just a job. I thought it was interesting enough. And then I moved to New York and did a different side of healthcare where I was running these large scale medical education programs, doing a lot of sort of writing for that company. By then I was with the person um, who would be my husband, Meredith's dad, and we kind of dropped out of life altogether. We went to the Peace Corps for a couple of years. We returned, we had no jobs, no places to live. We moved to Williamstown, Massachusetts because he got a job up here. Um, it's in the Berkshires, far western Massachusetts, pretty rural. I did some public health work when I was up here and then I got fired from a job. And um, by this point, Meredith was in the world. Her younger sister was on the way. I didn't know what I was going to do. We needed the money. And um, what I thought about was the fact that in every job I'd ever had, I wound up doing the writing for the company. If there was a story to be told for the company, I wrote it and I would sort of figure out what that story was. And so I thought maybe I can hire myself out as a freelance writer. I did that. I worked for some colleges. I did a whole, I had a bunch of different clients. And then I thought, well, this is kind of fun. Um, I wonder if I could write a book. And so I started writing books and it worked. Well, this is, I'm just, blown away hearing this because it really I mean it does sound like a chain of, of fate almost and just I'm I'm stunned at the fact that you really didn't take any English classes at Grinnell and somehow have I mean have just latched onto it and loved it so much and then turned it into something you're not only passionate about but good at. Yeah Nicholas turned to me in the middle of um of your spiel and said what was her major? I was an anthropology major, which I picked in part because you could take a lot of different kinds of classes and they would count toward the major. I could take psychology classes. I could take archaeology classes. I could take stuff that was more about the human mind, stuff that was more about philosophy. Um, it was really kind of me not picking a team that made me an anthropology major. Like I said, I was like a little bit interested in a lot of things, which is actually a pretty good skill to have if you're a writer, because you are doing deep dives into specific worlds. And I get to be really interested in it for a while, and then I get to move on. But in general, I think one could say that I am um, more of a classic late bloomer. So shout out to all the late bloomers out there. That I think is something inspiring and uh, very, reass very. reassuring. And so, you know, in that vein, I'm hoping that you can share, you know, what tips or advice do you have for somebody who, you know, has written something and doesn't know what to do with it? The process of getting something published really does begin with writing that something that is worth getting published. And my best advice there would be to figure out how to write the book that you yourself need. 
I would say don't think about what an editor, what a publisher, what an agent will think about it. Just write the best book that you can possibly write for yourself. Take your time with it. There is no hurry. It's okay to be a late bloomer. It's okay to wait. It's okay to let things marinate. I think the best ideas do marinate for a while. Um, and then there's this whole logistical thing of like, how do you find an agent? Um, and that is, it's kind of like cold calling. You're sending emails, you're sending samples. One thing that I did when I was first submitting was I went to a bookstore. Um, basically, most publishers want agented submissions. So your first challenge will be to get an agent. And you want to get an agent that is going to love your work specifically and want to represent your work. So the first thing that I did was I went and I spent it was probably half a day in a bookstore pulling books off the shelf that felt like they spoke to my, the thing I'd been working on. This was um, my first agented work was positive, the memoir of the HIV positive teen. Um, and I just was like pulling books off the shelf that felt like they could be friends with this book that we were working on. I would go to the acknowledgments and the agent is always mentioned in the acknowledgments. So that's a little tip go looking for the name of the agent and then just query them. Um, and every agent has different requirements. You can find it all online these days. It's actually a really beautiful thing. You can do it all by email and then expect to get a lot of rejections. Don't think it says anything about you or your work and just keep going. We will be speaking with an agent in another episode and she'll be able to share her side of of that right. process. And we thought that those two pieces could really complement each other, you know, the writing piece and then the post-writing piece. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear her perspective on that. Let's, I mean, you mentioned sort of the process of coming up with an idea and writing a book, and we're really interested in what inspires you and where you get your ideas from and how much your writing reflects your own life in it all. Yeah, careful with that one. Careful with that answer. <laughs> Um, but also, you know, on that, are there ethical standards when it comes to capturing and portraying real life and, you know, real people, you know, are there best practices there? In terms of what inspires me, everything inspires me. And the best ideas that I've ever had have come to me in moments that were more play than work. Um, so the thing about Jellyfish, which was the first novel that I sold, came when I took Meredith and her younger sister to the New England Aquarium. And it was a very loud, crowded day at the aquarium. And I just took them to the quietest room at the aquarium and it was the jellyfish exhibit. And I just thought jellyfish were incredibly cool. We stood there kind of mesmerized by them for a very long time. And it just raised questions for me. Like, how do they eat? How do they reproduce? Like, what even are these things? I, I think what really struck me was they were earthlings and we were earthlings. And yet our lives on this earth were so unimaginably different. At the time, I couldn't find a book about jellyfish. So I read different articles. And the more I found out, the more I thought they were really cool and that there should be a book about jellyfish. I started writing a nonfiction book about jellyfish that just wasn't working. And it was only when I turned to fiction that I was able to capture kind of this feeling that I had. But again, I wasn't writing, I wasn't like, I'm going to write a book about jellyfish. It was more that I was just interested and being interested in things is inherently inspiring. And I think a lot of the world is like that. I think um, I'm doing, I'm working on a project now that is still fairly speculative. It's a fictional project, but it is set during the early modern era in England. And so I'm doing this like deep dive into what life was like then. And I think the world is just a really inherently 
interesting place. You can probably pick any topic. And if you go far enough, it'll be fascinating and it'll be worth spending time with for a while. In terms of inspiration from life, yeah, every writer draws inspiration from the, there's no other way to do it. Um, So much of writing is about characters and finding characters and finding kind of these complex situations that reveal something about our world. And what we bring to it are our own experiences in the world. So that includes, you know, you draw inspiration from the people you know, you draw inspiration from situations you yourself have been in. I, I don't know if there are ethical standards. I think every writer has to kind of feel that out for themselves and you begin with humility. But I would say the end result is always so different from what you start with. It's not real life. And so you're exaggerating certain things about that character in order to fit the narrative that you need. You're um, cutting out pieces of that person. So it's never the person. It's never the situation. The writing process so changes it that really they're just not the same by the end. You need them to be certain things and to do certain things and to achieve certain things in order to get the story to where you're going. That's kind of a very long-winded way of saying it's complicated. That's fair. Um, You mentioned your writing process. Can you walk us through your writing process and what that looks like? (laughs) Well, Meredith, as you know, it's a lot of walking around saying, I should be writing. I should be writing. Uh, That is one of the great challenges of being a writer, and I would say probably any field where one is self-employed. There is no blaming anyone but yourself if you're not getting work done. There is no blaming anyone but yourself for procrastination. So it's a lot of learning to manage oneself. But I actually think some of that time is really important because, like I say, ideas do need to marinate. When you go looking for ideas, they're often hard. They're like those, aren't there stars that are like in the sky that you can only see if you're not looking at them directly? Um, There might be. I am not somebody who loves to clean, but boy, I never clean like I do when I'm on a deadline. You know, suddenly my (laughs) body be organized. But I actually think some of that is important because there's some part of me that's not quite ready to to work with what I have. But then there's this other thing where like, if you wait to be inspired every time, you'll never write anything because sometimes it is a matter of just sit down, you put your butt in the chair and you begin. And it's in the beginning that then ideas start flowing. Yeah, that sounds like Does, does that, res- does that yeah. resonate with you? Um, so you've mentioned a lot of things about sort of the individual nature of writing and storytelling and the personal connection that should come out of that. But I'm wondering, what does every story in your opinion need? Or is there anything universal that makes a good story? I think I always try to return to character. I think people are really interested in people. What makes them tick? What makes them do what they do? Even characters we don't like kind of have their own logic, like their actions. They may seem inexplicable, but there is some world in which they are logical actors. And I like trying to find that. Other writers might have other answers, but I like beginning with character and taking a character and saying, all right, but what would this person do in this situation? What's the craziest thing this person might do in this situation? What are they driven by? And how far are they willing to go? So I would say character. I think good writing, um, I don't know. We know it when we feel it, right? But if I were to set out to say, I'm going to 
write really well, I think I would never write. One of the things I've learned is that I have to give myself permission to write really badly. And when I'm stuck, sometimes I will make lists of 20 terrible ideas for what can happen right now. And it's in giving myself permission to have really bad ideas that sometimes good ideas burst through. That answers part of another question that we had, which is kind of, you know, how do you deal with writer's block? But I think also just knowing your story as, you know, as I do, I want to talk for a minute about your second book and Mm. what the sophomore slump is in writing. I've heard that the first book you write or the first project you work on is not actually the hardest one. It's when you, you pour everything into that and then you have to do it again and you have to just start over. Can you talk about that experience? The thing about Jellyfish, I wrote believing that nobody would ever read it. Um, I really did believe that it would be a stack of pages that Meredith, you and your sister would find someday in a box and you'd be like, oh yeah, I remember my mom was writing this. Oh yeah. Um, And because I didn't believe it would ever really be anything, I was just having fun working on it. I guess there was a small part of me that was like, well, maybe, but that wasn't the driving force. When I got the first offer on it from a publisher, I remember my first thought was, did they read it? Like, I was just so surprised. I didn't expect it to be much in the world. I thought if it ever became a book, it would have a very small life. And to my great surprise, it had this huge life in the world. It's been published in something like 30 countries. It was a finalist for the National Book Award. Once it came out in the world, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. All this stuff started happening and lots of people were reading it. And one never really gets to go back to that delicious place of believing that eh, probably nobody's ever going to read this so I can do what I want. So um, when the thing about Jellyfish sold, it was a two book deal and I was able to do anything I wanted with that second book. And it was really, really, really hard for me. I'm a pretty introverted person, I think, in a lot of ways. And just knowing that the whole world was going to read it, it became very easy to freeze during the writing. That second book is really hard. But that's all about ego management. And I don't mean ego in terms of like arrogance. I just mean awareness of self in the world. And that's the thing that if you're going to create work, you have to accept that people are going to have their own reaction to it. Books belong to the readers. And that's cool. Zooming out a little bit, how can we become better writers and storytellers? And what advice would you give to someone just starting out on their creative journey? What I didn't know is all those years when I was doing other things, when I was working for these companies, working in marketing, um, I was practicing writing. It was business writing. It was, I wrote a lot in bullet points, but it was in fact practicing writing. You know, I wrote brochures, I wrote sales proposals, I wrote marketing materials. And all of that was really helping me hone the skill of understanding what my point was and learning to make it as clearly and concisely as possible. And all of that really helped me when it came time to write novels. We don't often think of business writing and novel writing as having anything to do with one another, but I think I was just practicing writing. So that's one thing I would say is the more you practice, the better you're going to get. Read a lot, consume a lot of art, do it while you're practicing because the act of writing something for yourself makes you a much more discerning reader and you begin to see what other creators are really doing and the choices that they're making and just stay open. And I would say no attachment to outcome, no attachment to what will happen with it. 
at least for me, that has been the least helpful thing to think about it being a book or you know having a big life in the world. If you write a book for yourself, the worst that happens is you have done something really beautiful for yourself. And there's this weird thing where the more specific a story is, the more universal it is. Huh. So I am aware that, you know, our family is not the most relaxed or peaceful environment all the time. (laughs) Um, Somebody told me that. I don't know. I don't know who, but (laughs) so how, how can people cultivate a productive environment for themselves to really sit and marinate with ideas amidst the demands of, of day-to-day life? We are a beautifully chaotic family in all the ways that we can be. And the world is really, 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 really noisy. There is a lot happening. There is a lot at stake. Those things are real. They are urgent. And yet one has to cultivate some kind of stillness. You know, Meredith, because I talk about it all the time. I meditate and I'm a terrible meditator, but like I am, I am the least Zen person you will ever meet, but I do begin each day with basically like sitting in silence, just trying to notice what my brain is doing. Say, oh, look at my brain. It's really noisy right now. Okay. There's my breath. Oh, my brain is really noisy. Um, And for me, that's really helpful. I think social media has been the worst thing for my ability to focus and to know what I think about things. I used to run a lot. That was really, really helpful. I would get a lot of good ideas when running. Um, That poor Achilles. We can't even talk about it. So depressing. One just has to find ways of turning off the noise sometimes and going deep. So to end, what advice would you have for all young Grinnellians, both specific to writing and not? And then is there anything you would say to 19, 20, 21 year old Allie? Oh, there's so much I would say to 19, 20, 21 year old Allie. But let me start with Grinnellians. I would say, don't wait. Grinnell serves up all these really beautiful opportunities academically in terms of finding your interests, in terms of meeting people. I've said before about being a writer, it's like I was in Harry Potter. Like I thought that an owl would fly in with my invitation to be a writer. And since that never happened, clearly I wasn't a writer. But I would say the same thing about my, particularly those first couple of years in Grinnell. It's like I was waiting for an invitation to do things. Like somebody said to me, oh, you should try out for the rugby team. And I was like, rugby? I don't know anything about rugby. She said, it's fun. I did that. And it was the most fun. It was crazy fun. And I don't know why I had to wait for the invitation to do that. I think just try everything. Nobody knows more about how to be a Grinnellian. Like there are people who might jump in more. So just be one of the people who jump in. And I guess I would say the same thing to myself. Um, I think I was very passive. I got the jobs that were offered to me and I worked in those jobs. And then I moved to the next job that was offered to me. And I guess looking back, I would tell myself that I'm allowed to want things and that I should spend some time really thinking about what I want. I think my life has worked out really beautifully. Um, I feel unbelievably fortunate, but it took a long time. I wish I had been a little less passive. And if anybody else out there is passive, you're allowed to want things. Well, and how could you not feel fortunate when I am your daughter? (laughs) And I think that that's the note that we should end it on. (laughs) I think that's always the note that we should end it on. (laughs) 
Thank you for, I know. for Thank speaking you so with much us for this. It's right. been really fun to hear you and, uh, you know, talk about what you do. Cause I know, I know some parts of it, but it's, this has been, and this really was fascinating for me. I wonder where Meredith gets all creative talent. From. Now, <laughs> now I know. Yeah. May I um, just do a shout out to a couple other Grinnell writers because there are some phenomenal. Yeah. Grinnell yes. We would love that. So in no particular order, Julia Fine just came out with an incredible book called The Upstairs House. It's a novel. It's really smart and haunting. It's just gotten this huge reception in the world. Alexi Zentner um, writes these really literary, moving, beautiful books, Touch and Copperhead. He also writes under a pseudonym. He writes thrillers under the name Ezekiel Boone. Krista Desir has written these bold, unflinching YA novels that are just really powerful. Grant Faulkner uh, just came out with a book of short stories. He's the guy who founded NaNoWriMo, so he uh, knows everything about the kind of writing process, and he's a really great writer on his own. Uh, Molly Bax wrote a book called Princesses of Iowa. And I'm going to say, people think of Kumail Nanjiani as more of an actor and a comedian, his film, The Big Sick, is a phenomenal piece of writing, just a phenomenal piece of writing. So uh, there's something about Grinnell, I think, that attracts people who are able to craft story in a really powerful way. And so shout out to Grinnell. Shout out to Grinnell. And I feel like that's the perfect way to Yes. Thank to you. Thank you so much. This a pleasure. Wonderful. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College. This episode was produced by Meredith Benjamin. Our executive producer is Katie Kriegel. Find us online at goingforthgrinnell.com. Follow us on Instagram at goingforthpodcast and on Twitter at goingforthpod. Listen to more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Go forth, Grinnellian. See you next time on Going Forth.